Well, I'm kind of sad. This is our last week in Elijah. I've loved this series. Have you enjoyed Elijah, this Old Testament series? Old Testament. Could you imagine that the Old Testament could be so exciting? I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. Today, we're going to spend the last week on this prophet Elijah, and we're calling this message, Getting Your Spiritual Edge Back. Getting Your Spiritual Edge Back. But before we move any further, I have a question for you. Anybody here good at losing things? Anybody good? Oh, my goodness. You are my brother and my sister. I can't tell you how often I have misplaced things. And it drives me crazy how often I misplace things. Praise the Lord for a wife who's good at finding the things that I've misplaced. The most frustrating thing is that often the things that I've misplaced, I have in my possession. Has that ever happened to you? You're looking for your sunglasses and where are they? On your head. You're looking for your keys and where are they? They're in your pocket. Oh, drives me nuts. In fact, sometimes... When you're looking for something, have you noticed your brain forgets to work? Like if you could just pause and think about your life and think about what you've done, you could remember where you lost them. But your brain just goes nuts. Last week, I'm freaking out. I really needed my keys and I lost them at church. I, I had some of my key leaders like they're doing. They're saving people for, you know, the kingdom of God. I'm like, you have to stop. I need my keys. And everyone's looking for my keys. And then I go into the office and I have this thought. Maybe I left my car keys at home. How could have I gotten my car to church if I would have left my car keys at home? That is the most ridiculous idea ever. If you didn't know, you actually have to use a key to use the car to get to church. So losing things, it's frustrating, it's crazy, it's ridiculous, and it's something that we've all done. Well, what I want to do today, I want to talk about losing something else. See, there's a good chance... For many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we've lost something spiritual in nature before, right? Maybe there was a time when you lost your passion for God or you lost the passion for the things of God. You used to have it, but you don't anymore. Maybe it's joy, right? You lost some joy. Maybe you're sitting here even this morning. There used to be this deep, settled spiritual contentment and this joy, but somehow along the way you've lost it. You're not quite sure how you lost it. Some of you, at one time, you had this great faith, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you believed God for big things. You had a hope in a God who was good, who had a plan to bless you, to prosper you. Today, you're not praying for much of anything. You're not even sure what you believe about all this. You had something spiritually that was so very important, but you lost it along the way. So this is the fourth week in our series, like I was talking about. Let me remind you where we've been. First week... We talked about burning plows. Week two, we talked about digging ditches. Last week, we talked about gathering jars. Today, we're honestly looking at one of the oddest miracles in all of the Bible. In fact, if you look through, if you survey through the different miracles of Elijah that he performed, he did some pretty amazing and big miracles. He healed a poisoned body of water. Which saved the community. He raised the boy from the dead. Last week we talked about it. He saved the widow who was going to lose her two sons after she had lost her husband. He healed Naaman. That's an incredible story. Second Kings chapter 5. A commander of Aram's army. He had leprosy. But after dipping into the Jordan River, River seven times, he was healed. One of my favorites. We preached on this a couple of years ago. Elijah blinded an entire army moving forward the things of God in a battle. He, he did all of these significant things. But the miracle we're looking at today, basically, it's one of his 
I'd say one of his seminary students, he borrows this axe, he's chopping on a tree with it, the axe head flies off into the water, and then Elijah, he takes the man of God, he takes a stick, he throws it in the water, the axe head floats, and we go, wow, that's cool. I don't get the point, but, you know, that's really great. I'm sure the guy that lost the axe head really appreciated it, because in the scripture it says it was borrowed, so, you know, that's pretty good, but what's the significance of it all? Today God is going to speak to us through this story in a profound and very significant way. I'm looking forward to it. But before we go any further, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would be with us, that your word would speak to us, that it wouldn't just be a history text or an old fable, but it would be real in our lives today. Stir us up, shake us up for your glory. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings, we're in the Old Testament, chapter 6. If you need sermon notes, raise your hands. If you need a pen, raise your hands. Just raise them up high. It's good. I never have sermon notes, so I always have to raise my hand. And we'll get them to you. They're on a beautiful... Is that fuchsia color today that we have? Sermon notes. Pink. Is that pink? Thank you. It's salmon. Hmm. The minute you say salmon, I get that stink in my nose. You know, you wash your hands, you still smell, ugh. I mean, I love salmon, but it's just, ugh. <laughs> salmon. Anybody else? So one thing you need to know about this story is at the time, iron, this axe was made out of iron, it was, it was pretty valuable and, and awfully rare, hard to come by. The prophet who lost this axe head... He's likely very, very poor. He's kind of like our modern day college student, right? Living on student loans, eating top ramen. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Duncan in the front. Amen. (laughs) He had borrowed this axe head and so he's not going to be able to pay it back. So this is a big deal to this guy. He doesn't have much and then he loses the axe head. But then you see the man of God. He brings back the axe head. He performs a miracle. An iron head, uh, iron axe head. It floats in the Jordan River. So the man can retrieve it. So one thing you're going to see very clearly in this story is that our big God cares very much about the little details of our lives. Right? He does. And that's so comforting to me. It's something that we all need to remember. No matter what you're going through, if you have a headache, God cares. If you have a chemistry test coming up or if you have a statistics class that's kicking your rear, God cares. If your car won't start in the morning, ever have, ever have that happen to you? God cares about that. If you've lost your car keys at church, God might be laughing at you a little bit, but he cares. He cares. Our big God, he cares even about the little things. But you know, I want to dive into this just a little bit more. See, I want to show you that there are some other valuable principles that we can pull out of this. And again, just to help you understand, I want, I want to give you some context. If you remember Elijah, he was mentored by who? Elijah, which that can get really complicated. But Elijah was mentored by Elijah. Now we see Elijah mentoring these young prophets who want to learn more about him and, and, or learn from him. And there's all these prophets and they're like, Elijah, man, you are the man. Can we study with you? So Elijah, he gets this school of the prophets and there's so many of them. They actually outgrow the school. That's where we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Follow along. It says, the company of the prophets said to Elijah, look. The place where we meet with you is too small for us. So it's kind of like a building campaign. And verse 2, let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of the students said, won't you come with us, your servants? 
I will, Elijah replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and they began to cut down trees. So here comes the action. I don't want you to miss this. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head, it says, fell into the water. So here we've got, I got my little axe head here. I'm just getting ready. I'm loosening up. I'm stretching a little bit. And then here I go. That's okay. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Oh. I'm swinging so fast. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, no. He says, oh, no. Did you hear that? It fell in the water. Now, I want you to know if I said, oh, no, some of you, if that happened, you'd be saying other words. Jot that down. You don't have to swear if you lose your axe head. He says, oh, no, my Lord. It was borrowed. Oh. Have you ever done that? I borrowed. I won't even go to the story, but um, no, I will. I borrowed a car one time and I pulled up to a curb and I popped the the tire of the car. And then I was trying to get the jack to go up and change the tire. And then the car kept on falling onto the jack. And so I'm crying. My wife comes out. We're trying to pull up the car and get the jack underneath it. She's pregnant at the time. It was the most stressful thing. Finally, we had to call a tow truck. And have this borrowed car that I just borrowed to go five minutes back to my house to get like lunch or something. It was the most stressful thing. In fact, anytime I'm stressed and anxious with you, it's because my body has been ruined forever and ever because of that episode. (laughs) Blame it on the borrowed car. So it was borrowed. And the man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick, threw it there, made the iron float, lift it out, he said. The man reached out his hand and he took it. Now, besides God caring about the little things, which he does, and it's definitely demonstrated in the text, there's one major point that I want to embrace. I'm going to come back to again and again and again in this message. If you're taking notes, here's what I hope you will see. God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Those of you who have lost something spiritual in nature, be reminded that we serve a God who is totally into restoration. Our good God, he knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Now, as we talk about losing this axe head and losing this edge, what I want to do, I want to show you uh, this story metaphorically, how it can apply to, to each of our spiritual life, but I also want to teach it symbolically. So the big question I want to ask you today is this. How have you lost your spiritual edge? Honestly, it's just a question to you. For those of you that are Christians, be honest. Say, how have you lost your spiritual edge? Some of you might say, well, really, I haven't. I haven't. And if that's you, I celebrate with you. I am so thankful that you are here. Continue to do what you're doing that keeps your spiritual passion high. We need you in this body. Please invite your friends like you here. We we love having you here. God is using you in great and mighty ways in this congregation. But it's my guess that many of us who are followers of Christ, that there was a time in our life where where we were more into the things of God than we are today. And so I'd ask you again, acknowledge this specifically and honestly. How have you lost your spiritual edge? Some of you, you might recognize that there was a time when you had committed Christians all around you, right? That would help you, that would encourage you, that would build you up, pray for you, keep you focused on the things that mattered most. But now when you look around, you still have those so-called, you know, some Christian friends, but they're not really building you up in the things of God. 
You've lost your spiritual edge because of it. This actually happens a lot in dating relationships where you're on fire for the Lord and, and you have this community of faith around you, but then you started dating someone that wasn't quite on fire for the Lord. And the more you became consumed by that boyfriend or that girlfriend, the less you surrounded yourself with a godly community. And you ended up somewhere spiritually you never wanted to be. Some of you, there was a time when you served in our church or, or a church or any, any church and you had the thrill of being used by God, making a difference with your gifts. And sometimes it was hard and sometimes it was really hard. Sometimes it was flat out impossible, but all the time it was fulfilling. But then you got busy or you got overwhelmed and you stopped and, and you were going to go back to it, right? But you never did. And now you're missing something because you know what it's like to be used by God. But now life has pretty much come, become just about you. Some of you, there was a time when you had a passion for prayer. I mean, you'd get up early in the morning and you'd pray and you'd pray and you'd pray for lots of people. I mean, you were praying for the president. You were praying for the mayor. You were praying for the postman. You were even praying for the meter maid after she wrote you the parking ticket. But now, quite honestly, I'm going to be honest. You might pray for a meal every once in a while. Especially if someone's watching, right? If the pastor comes over. By the way, if I come over and you don't normally pray for meals, you don't have to pray for the meal. Just relax. But you might pray if it's a really big thing. But if you're honest with yourself, it's been a long time since you've prayed in a significant way. Some of you at one point in your life, you really love to share your faith with other people. I mean, you had this deep love for people, a burden for people that were outside of the family of God. But something happened along the way. And even though you used to tell everybody about Christ, now you can't remember the last time you had a spiritual conversation with someone that is not a follower of Christ. Some of you, you, you might, if you're really honest with, you, uh, with yourself, know that your standards have eroded. Years ago, you had these strong Christian values and you thought, hey, I'm not going to do that because it's not pleasing to God and it's not helpful to me. And then I don't know something happens, right? You, you got one of those, you know, the group of friends and they say, come on. He said, no. They said, come on. He said, no. They said, come on. He said, OK, it's just this one time. And then long before, before long, you started cutting corners, taking shortcuts, doing things that you probably shouldn't have been doing. Now you wake up and you wonder, how did I ever get here? I have no idea what happened to me. I used to be, but now, how did this happen? How have you lost your spiritual edge? The reality is it can happen to any of us because we have a spiritual enemy whose mission is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. In fact, I can tell you this has happened to me. I told you before that when I was 18, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a definite and noticeable experience in the Holy Spirit. It changed my life forever. In so many ways, it put me into service for the Lord. My life had been transformed and he had been equipping me for service, giving me gifts to be used for him. Three, year, three years later, I went to the University of Wyoming. I made the decision when I left, I was going to leave my jock status and all of my sarcasm back in the state of Washington. I was just leaving it behind. And in Wyoming, I was known as someone who dominated the biology department. And I was known as somebody who loved Jesus with everything that I had. I was a new creation in Christ. And I loved God so much. And I wanted everyone to know it. It was a wonderful time in my life. Three years later, I felt God's call to be a pastor 
And within six months, that's exactly what happened. I became a pastor. I became a very well-paid pastor. Very well-paid pastor. I was a creative arts director and music pastor at a church that was bigger than I had even ever attended. I was singing for four services every Sunday. I got to go to meetings and classes and conferences, and I loved it so much. I was living the dream. But what I didn't realize as a 24-year-old pastor is that I had been called into a very difficult job that just began to beat the life out of me. It was really hard. It was in those early years of being a pastor that I heard Bill Hybels, who's had a great effect on my life. He's the pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago. He shared something about his life that has always stuck with me. He said, this is him. He says, the way I was doing the work of God destroyed the work of God in me. The way I was doing the work of God destroyed the work of God in me. And that's exactly what was happening to me. I remember one time I went up to lead worship in front of the church. In the middle of worship, I realized I wasn't even worshiping. I was just going through the motions, just like I had been going through the motions the entire week before. I was praying publicly, but I wasn't praying privately. I would read my Bible, but only to get my job done. There was no personal devotion. I was in a high-pressure job. In the job that I was in, the average worship pastor lasts three years, but I didn't even know if I would make it two. And in the middle of this season... God showed me very clearly what had happened. I had become a full-time pastor, but a part-time follower of Christ. I think many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You became a full-time parent, a part-time follower of Christ. You became a full-time business person, but a part-time follower of Christ. Or a full-time student, but a part-time follower of Christ. You didn't mean to lose your edge, but you did. You didn't mean to stop praying with your spouse, but you did. You didn't mean to stop, but you did. You didn't mean to fall back into old patterns. You didn't mean to get addicted again, but you did. You didn't mean to drift away from the love and the intimacy that you have with God. And wake up depressed and empty and hollow on the inside, but you did. You didn't end up meaning to pursue the satisfaction of material possessions, but you did. You didn't mean to become a part-time follower of Christ, but you did. That's what happened. You lost your spiritual edge. So what do you do when you're swinging away and the edge goes kerplunk into the water? How do you get your edge back? I want to look at the story of Elijah and this prophet that's swinging away. And I, I want to apply it symbolically. Uh, two lessons about how we get our edge back. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Write it down. We need to be honest about where we lost it. Be honest about where you lost your edge. Verse 6, the man of God, Elijah, he asked, where did it fall? In other words, the axe head isn't gone. Just where did you leave it? Where did it fall? I'd ask you, where did you leave it? Where did you lose it? Where did you begin to lose your spiritual edge? You're all smart people, intelligent people. If you look back, you can probably say, oh, yeah, I remember when I took the wrong turn. I made some friends that were probably the wrong friends. I started dating the wrong person. Maybe for you, you dropped the discipline. You used to pray, but you stopped. You used to be devoted to searching for God, finding God in the scriptures, but you stopped. You used to be a tither, but then you got behind and you're trying to figure out the math. And so you stopped. You used to find joy when you worshiped God. But then you stopped. You used to be in community. You used to join a life group, be a part of a godly community. And then you stopped. 
Maybe you lost your spiritual edge when you decided that your secret, it wasn't going to hurt anyone. So that you lived in that secret world and the whole time it was hurting you and was hurting others more than you knew. Or maybe you lost your edge when you got hurt by somebody in the church. Maybe a pastor or maybe some other Christian. You're saying, hey, if they're going to act that way, screw them all. I can't take it anymore. And you allowed your heart to grow hard and you allowed your heart to grow cold. You blamed God for what someone else did. You lost your spiritual edge. Be honest about where you lost it. For me, if I'm gut level honest with you, here's what happened to me. As a pastor, I started to care more about what other people thought of me than I cared about my own relationship with God. I cared more about appearance, how I looked in the eyes of the congregation and in the eyes of my boss than I did about the reality of my relationship with God. I was spending all of my time working for the wrong masters, so to speak. Again, full-time pastor, part-time Christian. You today, be honest about where you lost it. Second thing that I believe in this text that it would teach us. First, be honest about where you lost it. Secondly, with God's help, take back what you lost. This is good. If you're sleeping now, wake up. (laughs) Wake up. With God's help, take back what you lost. Because our God, he specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. Verses 6 and 7, here's what it says. Where did, where did you lose the axe head? When he showed him the place. Elijah, he cut a stick, he threw it in there, made the iron float. Then he said, lift it out. Everybody say, lift it out. Lift it out. Say it again. Say, lift it out. Lift it out. Come on. somebody, say, say it to the person next to you. Say, lift it, out. lift it out. Now say it to the person that was your second choice. Say, lift it out. <laughs> lift it out. Then the man reached out his hand. You guys can forgive each other later. Reached out his hand and he took it. With God's help, he took it. Lift it out. With God's help, take it back. With God's help, take back what you lost. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we studied, we studied ditches, right? Only God can send the water, but sometimes you got to dig a... That's right. Last week, only God can multiply the oil, but he wants you to collect and to gather the jars. This week, only God can make the axe head float, but he wants you to lift it out. He wants you to take back what you lost as he brings it back within your reach. But the moment you start to think, you know, maybe, maybe Pastor Dan's right. Maybe I can get it back. I promise you, there will be a voice in the back of your head that says, no, 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 no. No, you can't ever get that back. It's been too long and you've gone too far. You've done too much. You can never have it back. Have you ever heard that voice before? You bet. After all you've done, you've lost the best of what you could have ever been. I'm here to tell you that's a lie from the devil himself. In fact, I believe I came here this morning to tell somebody that with God, it's not too late to be the person that God wants you to be. It's not too late to get back what you never thought you'd have again. To actually even have more by the supernatural power of God. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. I want you to know that our good God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. It's his specialty. (laughs) It's his specialty. But we have a part to play. He's going to make it within your reach, but you got to lift it out. You got to grab it back. You got to go after it and you got to get it. Do what you can do and trust God to do what you can. I want to say that again. You simply do what you do and trust God to do what you can. 
Right? Can you make an axe head float? No. It's made of iron. You can't do it. Try it. You can't. But can God, by His supernatural power, bring it within reach? Amen. Can you, with your non-supernatural power, lift it out? Can you lift an axe head out of the water? Somebody say yes. Can you create... In your own spirit, in your own flesh, in your own power, in your own strength, can you create a spiritual passion and faith? No. Have you tried that before? I've tried that a thousand times. Does it work? No. But here's what you can do. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of God. So that you can put yourself in a place where you hear God's word so that God can build your faith. You can do that. You know that God hears and he answers prayers so you can choose to pray even when you don't feel like it. You can do that. You can choose to worship even when you don't feel like it. You can do that. You can search for God today. And when you seek him, the Bible says again and again, when you seek him, you will find him. You can do that today. You can take back what is available to you. Take it back. You know, I was having a couple of those days this week. You know what I'm talking about. Those days. Monday morning. Everything. It just felt like there was more questions than answers. And everything in my life just felt unsettled. I was off my game. But praise the Lord for his Holy Spirit and the spiritual deposit that is so deep within my soul. Because I know what is mine in the Lord. And so I chose to put myself in a place where God could build my faith. Monday morning. I put some music on. This is what I listen to. pretty good too but in my funk on a monday morning i made that as loud as i could on my little mp3 player if anyone has a bigger one i'd love to have if you're getting rid of it because i want to really make it loud in my living room but on my little one i just had it full blast lord you're mighty you know what happened god raised the axe head i took it back i took back what was mine I love what Revelations 2, verses 4 and 5 says. Jesus was speaking to his church, a church of people similar to us today. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Then Jesus said, consider how far you have fallen. He says, repent. In other words, say you're sorry. Turn back. Come home. Turn from your sin. Turn from your apathy. Turn from your complacency. Repent. Repent and do what? He says, repent and do the things you did at first. Do the things 
you did it first. In other words, if you want what you want had, you got to do what you once did. When he causes it to float, you reach out and you lift it out. You, you do what you can do and let God do what you can't. And this is how the principle has played out in my own life. You know, I was so passionate for the things of God. I never thought it would go away. I have a legacy of faith in my parents. I'm just so thankful you're here today. The word that you gave us was so beautiful this morning. It's not an accident that you were here this morning. But, you know, it went away while I was a pastor serving him in church. When externally everything looked good, but internally it was a far cry from what it once was. So what did I do? I recognized it. And after recognizing it, I went back and I recommitted to the things that brought passion and brought the life and increased my faith. Not only did I recommit, but I committed to these things in a greater and more intentional way. I began to realize that my position in Spokane wasn't fitting my calling. It wasn't in alignment with what God and who God had called me to be. It had just become a really good paying job, which is not healthy, by the way. And it happens to more pastors than you would think. But I knew that I wasn't being obedient to the Lord. So I went to my boss and I told him that either I needed a change in my job description for a better fit for who I was or I was resigning. Pretty much I gave him an ultimatum. I put him in a really tough spot. Well, guess what? The job didn't change. And so I walked. With my wife pregnant, I walked. Because I wanted my spiritual edge back. You know, around the same time, I made this conscious decision that I was going to make Jesus a part of every conversation that I had as much as I could. See, pastors, they're always trying to tell the world and when they're out in public, you know, try to hide and disguise that, hey, I'm not really a pastor. But I decided I wanted everyone to know that I was a pastor and I wanted everyone to know that I loved Jesus. I was tired of being quiet about it. So I made the conscious decision to tell my hairdresser about Jesus, my dentist about Jesus. Jesus, my barista about Jesus, go on my Facebook, follow me on Twitter. I'm always talking about Jesus. I've gotten so comfortable with telling people about Jesus. It's just become a part of my daily life. I took the axe head back. I'll tell you another thing I did when I became your senior pastor. I wrote down two things, two things that ignite my passion, that energize me and fill me up spiritually. Two things. I made a commitment that these two things would always be a part of my life. As a pastor, number one, first thing is that I would always pour into young leaders, not just in a group setting like this, but at a personal level. See, someday they will lead us. They will lead me. And there's a whole lot of them, but I've made it a priority in my life to keep on texting them, to keep on emailing them, to keep on meeting with them, to continue to be patient with them, to forgive them, to encourage them and encourage them and encourage them and encourage them in the things of God. Number two, I made a commitment. In my ministry, I made a commitment that people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior would always be a priority. And so I started this from day one. I remember when we started making time for this in our services, there was about, what, 60, 70 of us on a Sunday morning. And we all knew each other, but I just kept on giving these opportunities for people to come to Jesus and accept him as their Lord and Savior week after week after week. And I want to say this, to God be the glory since January 1st of this year, this little church on this little hill, there have been 32 decisions made for Christ. That fires me up. Can we get excited for that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And let me tell you, friends, as I've taken these steps to reach out to God, God has been so faithful to bring the edge back within grabbing distance. And I've taken it back. 
Now when I sing or when I lead worship or when I preach, I sing and I preach with the overflow of the passion I have for the kingdom of God. To bring Him glory, to reach people who need to know Him. Not because it's my job, but because it's the overflow of my relationship with Jesus and my love for God. I'm bold and I'm fearless and at times I'm a little reckless, but all because God specializes in helping us get back what we didn't mean to lose. I don't know how this is going to apply to you, but God wants to help you get back what you didn't mean to lose. You do what you can do. Trust God to do what you can. As we close today, here's my promise to you. God will restore you if you turn back to him. Our God is a God of restoration. He will give back to you spiritually whatever you thought you had lost. The book of Joel says that he will help restore the years that the locusts have eaten. There's a verse in Proverbs 6 that says that when the enemy steals something, he's got to pay it back seven times. Some of you today, you feel like you've been robbed by the enemy. Guess what? You just got to tell him you're going to pay me back and you're going to pay me back with interest seven times over. You thought I was hot for the Lord back then. I'm coming back seven times hotter because our God specializes in bringing back what you didn't mean to lose. One of my favorite parts of being in this body life spring is that there are so many stories of restoration represented in this room right now. Story after story after story of how God didn't give up on you and he gave back to you what you didn't mean to lose. My story is represented again and again in this church. For some of you, there was a time when you were living wholeheartedly for Jesus. But then you had that affair or you had multiple affairs. And it was so painful and you'd caused so much damage and you thought you would never walk close with Jesus again. But God forgave you. God restored you. In fact, right now you are here with your spouse, both of you living for Jesus. Many of you, you gave your life to Christ at an early age, but then something happened. I don't know. You moved out of your parents' house and slowly became addicted to drugs or alcohol. And you thought you would never see the day where drugs or alcohol didn't completely control your life. Yet the God of restoration, he kept on pursuing you and kept on loving you. And in that pit of despair, by the blood of Jesus Christ, God reached his hand down to you. You grabbed it and he pulled you out. There are those of you who started in a job or maybe you owned your own business and you did it as unto the Lord, right? You worked hard and you did a good job, but then you became bitter and jaded and you began to cut corners. You began to cheat the system. But God, again, by his Holy Spirit, he stepped in and he reminded you that you are a man or a woman of God, that you're working for God, regardless of the circumstances, who your boss is, what country you live in, how much you pay in taxes. You mighty man or mighty woman of God, you're going to walk in honesty and integrity. He restored to you your dignity. And now in the workplace, you are an influence of Christ. You had lost it, but with God's help, you took it back. Some of you remember when you were a trustworthy person. You didn't lie. You always told the truth. But then you started telling those little white lies, not thinking it would hurt anybody. But pretty soon your whole life, if you're honest, became a lie. And your lying caused devastation and ruin. And you thought your life was ruined forever. Yet by God's grace and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, God gave you your life back better than ever. Ever He restored you. And now people actually come to you with questions and help seeking wisdom because they know that you are someone. This is, again, a miracle of God. You are someone that they can trust that your words will be honest and true. Lifespring, do any of these categories or something similar to it describe your life? Anybody? Raise your hand if anything close to that. You bet. See, it's every one of us. As a Christian, you are restored. 
God is a God of restoration for every one of us. Glory to God. That is what he has done in our life. That's your testimony. You want to hear the ultimate story of restoration? Man and God, they were walking in the garden. We ate the forbidden fruit and sin became a part of the equation. Yet Jesus Christ, he came on the scene and by the love of God, he gave back to us what we had lost. In fact, scripture tells us that God, this is so good, God out of his own love, he sent his son to die for our sins so that through Jesus Christ, God might reconcile us to himself. That is beautiful. Reconcile us back to himself. First Corinthians 15, 22, I, I said it earlier. It says, for as in Adam, all die, say all, all die. So also in Christ Shall all, say all, in Christ all shall be made alive. See, we lost it. We were destined for death. But God in his love for us, he brought life back within our reach, within our grasp in the person of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is accept his free gift and take it back. Every one of us who are Christians, we have this God-sized testimony of how the broken can be healed. How those who once were living in darkness can now live in the light. Because our God, he specializes in bringing back what we didn't mean to lose. What the enemy meant for evil, our good God uses for good. But even now, there's some of you in this room that you are weighed down so heavily by your sin. You don't feel worthy. You feel like God could never restore you for what you've done. I don't know where you are on this. I don't know how you're hurting, how far you've drifted, how far you've gone. But I want you to know, and more importantly, God wants you to know that you haven't gone too far. I, I, I pray that you can receive this word this morning. You can be the person that you were meant to be. When you look at the story of Elijah and Naaman... Naaman, he's the commander of the Aram's army. Naaman, he's sick with leprosy. His hand was leprous, but after dipping into that river, the Jordan River, seven times, his skin was completely restored. In the Bible, leprosy is often an analogy for sin. Livestream Church, just as Naaman's hand was restored, you can be restored. I don't, I don't care what you've done. Repent. Be honest before the Lord. God will restore you. God will restore you. He will give you back that spiritual ledge that will be able to cut right through the lies of the enemy. Repent. Come back to the Lord. Allow him to restore you. This is a beautiful passage. I want to close with this. It's from Deuteronomy 30 verses 3 through 5. God, your God will restore everything you've lost. He will have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places you were scattered. No matter how far away you end up, God, your God, will get you out of there and bring you back to the land your ancestors once possessed. It's going to be yours again. He will give you a good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors. I just wanted to read that. I want you to know that's who our God is. That's what he does. Do you see that we serve a God who specializes in helping people find what they didn't mean to lose? That's how good our God is is so i just say when he makes the axe head float lift it out lift it out come today to the god of restoration let's pray father i pray that your holy spirit would do a divine healing work in our hearts today 
As we pray, there are those of you that would say, I had it and I lost it. There was a time I was more passionate than I am now. There was a time when I was more intimate than I am now. There was a time when I was more on fire than I am now. There was a time when I cared more than I do now. There was a time, but I lost it and I want it back. With God's help, I'm going to lift it out. I want my spiritual edge back and I want it with interest. I want to be sharper than ever. If that's you today with all heads bowed, would you just lift up your hands right now? All over this place, just lift up your hands. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and put them down. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray at this moment that there would be a divine spiritual breakthrough. God, I pray even for tears, that tears would begin to flow right now. God, that we would break before you recognizing just how far we've fallen. God, we repent and we commit to do the things that we once did, to have the faith that we once had. God, even though we may not feel anything, even though even right now we don't fully understand what we believe, God, we commit to seek after you god we will do what you've called us to do and we will trust you to do what we can't and god we pray that you would restore the spiritual passion to a greater place than ever before god that we would be so overflowing with our love and with your love that wherever we go people would want to have what we have your grace your goodness your presence your power your holy spirit god help us find what we didn't mean to lose and god for those who are in deep darkness we thank you that your light pierces the darkness that your light always wins god help us to be restored to where we were before even with more passion to live fully for you and as we keep praying nobody looking around there's a lot of people in this room that raised their hands who had it and then lost it but there are people in this room who have never had it at all You never had the joy of knowing you're forgiven by Christ. You've never had the power available to you by our good God. You've never experienced the supernatural peace of God which passes our human ability to understand. So many of us, we go through this life, we we kind of believe in God, we kind of go to church, we kind of do some good things and end up doing some bad things, but we never fully realize that because of our sin, we've been separated by a holy God. But because of his goodness, this is the good news. He sent his son, Jesus, who was without sin to become sin for us to die on the cross, to be raised again from the dead. So that anyone that includes you, that anyone who calls on his name would be transformed, spiritually healed, totally forgiven. And there are those of you in this room right now that said, I have never had those things that you're talking about, Pastor Dan. I need his forgiveness. I want the assurance that I belong to him. There are those of you right now that would say, yes, I need his grace. Yes, I need his forgiveness. Yes, I need his salvation. I turn from my sins and I turn towards him. If that's you today, if you are ready to give your life to him, would you just lift up your hands right now? Lift up your hands. Amen. Anyone else? Lift up your hands. Lift. Yes, I see you. I see you. Absolutely. I see you in the back. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Yes, that's my prayer, Lord. Yes, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Let's pray with these people who raise their hands. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Make me brand new. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me and that you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you all of my days. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.